Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. I'm here today with Gary Kasantsev, who runs the R&D Machine Learning Group at Bloomberg. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So uh, I think before we jump into a technical discussion of what you guys do, uh, maybe let's start with a little bit of your background. Like, uh, what did you study in school and how did you end up working in finance? Sure. Um, so I'm actually a physicist by education. Um, I did, roughly speaking, mathematical physics in school. Um, and at this point, I am more a mathematician than anything else. Uh, so I do have some background in computer science, obviously, also. Uh, but majority of my time was mathematics and physics. So did you uh, did you take up programming on your own, or did you study it in school? So I actually have, in that sense, a rather um, complicated biography because I uh, worked for a couple of years before going to school. Uh, so and I was working in IT field, uh, basically at the time of the dot com boom. I see. So uh, you worked. At, you uh, experienced the whole. Uh, uh, bubble in the 90s yes unfortunately i see interesting so uh what uh did you go to graduate school in physics as well did you would you i mean so i guess a little bit about my background i'm a former math and stats professor so actually i uh when i decided to leave academia i joined a small hedge fund so my first non-academic job was as a lead quant of a hedge fund uh doing mm -hmm. quant stuff so did, were you, did you ever uh, do any of that stuff, the quant? So what, the place that I was working for um, before I went to school was actually a fintech startup. Uh, one of, I think, the first ones uh, at the end of the 1990s. Uh, and so we were working in retrospect on uh, a problem which is basically one product of Bloomberg out of the thousands that it uh, produces. So it was profiling companies for the purposes of targeting them for mergers or acquisitions. So this was um, kind of a data engineering project. Uh, so. And for them, I did basically everything. It was a startup, and I was employee number three. Um, we did. So was uh, this was this the uh, the use of non traditional data sets? Yes. So um, we were trying to essentially build a search engine, what amounts to a search engine for companies, uh, by collecting data from all kinds of places, from. Uh, Edgar from SEC filings, from the from news on the web, from a number of other different places, uh, and uh, there was some, I guess, what you would call what you would now call data science involved. Um, but at that point, I was mainly a systems engineer for them, so basically build the infrastructure more or less. So it seems like na nowadays, uh, at least uh, uh, more your recent talks centered around uh, uh, text mining, right? So I guess what's called news analytics for finance. So maybe you, so can, maybe you can describe that to our listeners. Sure. So that's a, 
a large part of what we do, certainly. But at this point, my group works on a broad range of applications of machine learning to finance. So text analysis is one of them. And under this umbrella, we do a number of things uh, which essentially amount to producing financial indicators from unstructured text. So you know, take in news stories and produce time series. So sentiment analysis is one product under this umbrella. Other more general market impact indicators uh, are also in this area. Topic clustering, topic classification, novelty detection. So those are all projects that we work on in this area. So we also do other things. So we do for example, question so, so, so it seems like, so before we go to the other things, Gary, so it seems like in the text area, uh, from what I gather, at the end of the day, you're really generating features, right? So sentiment is a feature. That is one way to look at it, yes. Yeah. So I don't know if I would call them features per se, because uh, we are essentially building inputs into strategies. Right. So if if that strategy is a machine learning based strategy, then yes, it will be features. But in some cases, the strategy may actually be very simple. There would not be any uh, data science necessary, really. So, so are you uh, are you generating sentiment on basically public information, right? So obviously, so the uh, news news feeds, but also, I guess, are you using social media? Yes, I was going to get to that. Um, we generate this on everything. So our view of news is actually very broad. So yes, publicly available news are news, but we also generate an enormous amount of our own content. We take in a number of different third-party contributor feeds, right? We collect information from social media. So roughly speaking, at this point, we ingest something like 1.2 million stories per day, give or take. So, it's, uh, it's, uh, so you, you guys must also do a lot of uh, entity extraction, right? Yes, quite definitely. So there's actually a long NLP pipeline that the stories go through. And it ranges from language detection to named entity recognition, disambiguation, topic classification, right? and then more complicated things like sentiment analysis, market impact, and so on and so forth. So, what, so, uh, so at the end of the day, so what, uh, how do people use uh, the output of these uh, algorithms? So they're, they're, they use it through the Bloomberg uh, terminal, probably, right? In two ways. So, yes, one way that these things are surfaced is through the Bloomberg terminal. And the other way that this information gets distributed is via an enterprise fee, essentially, where you're buying data in bulk. Interesting. So, what, uh, so now that uh, we covered kind of the uh, general uh, areas that you guys work in. So what? So that's just one area, though, right? Yeah, yeah. So no, but, uh, there is there is at least four others that we work on, and uh, let, let, let's they are da- quite different things. Yeah, let's uh, do a deep dive and uh, just text for a second here. So for those of us who don't work in uh, in uh, finance news data, so what specific techniques uh, turn out to work well? 
For which problem? For example, for uh, entity extraction and, uh, and uh, sentiment analysis. So those are quite, quite different problems. So I will talk about sentiment first. Uh, so if you think about it from a machine learning perspective, it's a fairly standard text classification problem. Uh, and there, there has been a lot of work in this area, starting with the original papers by, I guess, Tang and Lee uh, in 2002-2003. So the important part really in this case is not necessarily the set of techniques that work best, but how to pose the problem so that it is actually useful for finance professionals. But as, as far as techniques, if you're interested uh, in large margin methods, you know, support vector machines, uh, will still uh, come out on top for most of these things, um, at least in our experience, for this domain. But the, the actual challenge is asking the right question and then furthermore doing enough, uh, I guess, feature engineering and also enough statistics to convince ourselves and our clients that what is being produced actually makes sense, that it uh, impacts financial markets and so on. So uh, you, you mentioned, uh, did, you go, did you mention topic models, right? So? I mentioned topic classification, oh, topic. which is not the same thing as okay. topic modeling. So the, describe uh, in detail what topic classification is. So we classify news stories into a very large and elaborate taxonomy of topics which are financially relevant, right? Oh, so, I see. And it, I see. it varies from uh, regions to industries to more general topics, and we attach something to the tune of, I wouldn't say 5,000 topics, something like that, uh, which are arranged in a hierarchy about seven or eight levels deep. So it's a multi-class, multi-label classification problem, effectively. So who? So the uh, the taxonomy itself is machine generated. It's a mixture of things. Parts of it are machine generated. Parts of it are manually curated. It is, like I said, fairly large, right? And it keeps evolving over time, right? So new topics get added when we either observe enough content to justify it or when a client asks for it, something to that effect. So by the way, Gary, so what uh, in your uh, domain, what is the measure of precision? What, is there a certain threshold where uh, you'll say, okay, so this is good to go. The, the business users will be happy with this particular algorithm. That's a very good question. So. Uh, obviously, in our work, we use standard uh, methods, right? We compute precision, F-scores, that kind of thing. But in many cases, that is insufficient, right? And you need to actually optimize to the ultimate use case. So, for example, in the case of topic classification, one of the primary uh, use cases is actually search. Right, so uh, people use this to topic taxonomy to create searches or filters for content of interest. So the ultimate 
kind of um, evaluation for this is how well does this, how, to what extent does it impact uh, search? So some measure of engagement. Yes. And then for the for the sentiment stuff, I suppose if people are going to build uh, trading models, some measure of uh, alpha. Well, yes. How much money is being made? Right, right, right. Interesting. So um, before I interrupted you earlier, you were going to talk about things besides text analysis that you guys also work on. So you mentioned social media. Uh, we do work on social media. Some of this work intersects text analysis. So for instance, we do do uh, sentiment analysis of tweets. Um, but there are also some things in this area which are unique to social media because we have access, for example, to the structure to, of the social network. So some things having to do with uh, estimating influence of individual contributors, uh, anomaly detection, and Twitter flow, those kinds of things. So that's another area. Another area is recommender systems. So the idea here is basically to convert information flow from a pull to a push based on, for example, uh, your, uh, say, news readership. So if you read certain stories, then we can recommend certain other stories to you based on, let's say, in topic classification and the content of them that I mentioned before. So there is other work. Um, in a different area, uh, which is roughly speaking question answering. So the idea here is, again, very roughly, it's uh, like Watson for finance. Right? So uh, it's a big project. So this is, uh, is this in production? Pardon? Is this already in production? Some of it, yes. Interesting. And the fifth area is, roughly speaking, mathematical finance, right? So it's uh, using uh, machine learning to, for example, uh, predict the risk for financial instruments directly from trade. So beyond kind of the basic measures of risk like VAR. Yes. Interesting. So how does, so what, so can you give a very high level description of uh, those kinds of models, the risk models? Uh, so I don't want to go into too much detail because this is a product which is currently rolling out. But um, the idea is this, right? So if you have, for instance, uh, instruments which are illiquid, which trade infrequently, right? uh, it is a fairly non-trivial problem to value them appropriately. And a lot of work, in fact, the whole industry in on Wall Street is dedicated to actually pricing those uh, in one way or another. Now, if you collect you know, a number of different estimates of prices for these securities, right, you can combine them using a kind of an ensemble model and you will get a because in the absence in the absence of uh, if you have an instrument that's illiquid that doesn't trade often then there's no pricing on a regular basis so you don't have much price history exactly so that would be the first step right and this we have done a long time ago and it's available and it exists 
But then if you use this consensus value, right, no matter how good it is, and you actually trade one of these instruments, there is inevitably going to be discrepancy between the traded price and the consensus price. So there are some variables which clearly are not being captured uh, in this consensus. So to me, this looks basically like a machine learning problem, right? So there are variables which describe the instrument, there are variables which describe the trade, there is the consensus value, and then there is the actual traded value, right? So build a model to explain the discrepancy. Our unique advantage in this case is that we actually have a fairly broad picture of the market, right? So unlike individual contributors in this marketplace, we may see uh, basically more trades. So we tend to have better basis for inference. So, but the, at the end of the day, these are, the amount of data is not that big, right? So is that right? Mm -hmm. Define big. Well, uh, like uh, you need uh, you need uh, distributed computing big. Yes. Um, so speaking of which, so we've talked a little bit. We talked uh, about what you guys do in Bloomberg, but uh, just taking a kind of a broader view and looking at uh, what's happening in finance and big data and data science. Uh, is there anything uh, that stands out that uh, you'd like our listeners to know about in terms of uh, the intersection of finance and big data? Sure. So I think um, one broad trend that uh, we have been observing is that these methods, quanti more quantitative, more sophisticated machine learning methods have been making more and more inroads into finance, whereas previously um, it would have been quite challenging, uh, particularly the more opaque uh, nonlinear models. So and the idea that these things are useful and can be uh, applied to problems in finance seems to have percolated um, to a fairly large audience at this point. So that's one thing, but uh, the consequence building those is expensive. So uh, there is a lot of attention currently on, as you correctly pointed out, distributed computing um, and the challenge there is that in many cases, um, distributed computing, quote unquote, uh, solutions that have been available do not really fit the financial use cases. So many of the problems that we deal with are streaming problems, for instance, right? So kind of traditional grid computing or MapReduce architectures and whatnot, they don't really fit this problem domain. So, which is why, for example, Spark is so exciting to a lot of people because it is adaptable to... The yeah, you know, I, I have a funny story about Spark. I, I uh, was at the Spark Summit and ran into some people from Bloomberg. I couldn't believe how many people from Bloomberg were at the Spark Summit. Right. <laughs> That's the reason. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, at the risk of dating myself, actually, when I was a quant in finance, I... You know, as you point out, machine learning was not something we were really looking at back then. I mean, we were looking more into, you know, a Monte Carlo type of methods. Uh, yeah. 
but uh, it's uh, it's interesting to hear now that even in finance, uh, machine learning seems to be uh, making inroads. Well, I think there are a couple of reasons for that, right? So it's not just in finance, right? These yeah, yeah. kinds of methods are being used basically everywhere at this point. Right, right. Um, and I think we are at an interesting intersection of computational capacity and the underlying mathematics having reached a certain level of maturity that we can at least uh, understand the outcomes in some cases, right? So. To give you an example, like the uh, neural networks stuff, for instance, right? Some of the problems having to do with convergence and with actually building large-scale models were only solved in mid-1990s from a mathematical perspective, right? So, and it has taken a little while to get to today, right, where we can actually build useful models in using those uh, methods. But at this point, right, suddenly you have an enormous amount of computational capacity and suddenly also we have actual mathematical models that at this point at least kind of work. So people justifiably are trying to apply them to everything. So um, like I said, when I left academia, it was still, you know, uh, late 90s. So it was an era when uh, people with physics and math backgrounds or being snapped up by Wall Street. Uh, nowadays, is it, mo- is it uh, people with machine learning and data science backgrounds? Is that what you're, you are looking for when you hire people? Much less, to, less so than uh, people with math or physics PhDs. Um, so the answer to your question is yes. I, we recruit all of those. <laughs> Oh, you do. Right. You still you still yeah. recruit the PhDs. Oh, yeah, quite different. So, and then you just yeah, teach you just, te- you just teach them programming and they, and uh, machine learning and. So physicists already tend to make for fairly good software engineers, especially people who uh, do again Monte Carlo simulations right. or do particle physics because you have to work with a lot of data, right? And the field itself teaches you a certain kind of empiricist attitude towards data. Um, So as far as machine learning is concerned, yes, it would be ideal to obtain somebody with, uh, you know, a graduate degree in, uh, you know, convex optimization, which had been applied in their postdoc to natural language. Yeah, yeah it seems and, like uh, those people are rare. Now, now that you're bringing that up, actually, it seems like the the uh, great skill set these days is really optimization, right? So, yeah. At the end of the day, everything you can reduce down to optimization of some kind. Right, which is why the the physics and mathematics PhDs that you're referring to are actually quite well positioned, right? Because they have a mathematical background to appreciate the methods being used. Right, right. So, what about really cutting edge stuff? Is that uh, under your domain, like things like uh, data from sensors and Internet of Things, or? So that's not really my area, the Internet of Things in particular. Um, we, I attend, a, I guess, slightly different conferences, right? So we tend to go to EMNLP and NACL, NITS, 
So our view of the cutting edge is a little different, right? So um, at the last NIPS conference, for instance, there was some very interesting work on um, optimization, again, right, on uh, tractable models for topic modeling, in a streaming scenario, and so on and so forth, right? So yeah, that's yeah, the cutting yeah. edge that I'm aware of. Cool. So, well, uh, Gary Kassensev, thank you for speaking with us today. It's been great. Uh, um, really you. interesting stuff happening in Bloomberg. And uh, for those of you listening to this show, um, Gary is also a frequent speaker, not just at meetups, but at conferences and at actually even uh, uh, departments, computer science departments uh, across the country. I've seen you actually, I've seen your name at Amp Lab and MIT CSAIL. Um, yeah. So is there a website people can go to uh, to learn more about yeah. your group? So yes, we do have a website. Uh, it's bloomberglabs.com, and there's a section there for data science. There's an email there uh, that can be used for contact. Um, so take a look. So I uh, actually, I, I'm going to add one more question. So a lot of people ask me this, so I'll ask you this question. So for people who want to get into data science and industry, any recommendations and tips, particularly... Actually, actually, we can even focus the question, Gary, for, particularly for people with PhDs or master's degrees already in the hard sciences. How do they, how do they get a job in your group? <laughs> um, so that's a subject for half an hour conversation, but uh, it's a good question. So generally speaking, when we recruit, we look for people who, again, have... Um, an empiricist attitude towards data, right? We look for people who have uh, a certain amount of mathematical intuition, uh, a certain amount of curiosity, definitely, uh, and preferably people who have worked on uh, data problems, not necessarily big data problems, medium data problems, even small data problems, but using these kinds of methods, right? It's not enough to use the methods in question, like, say, regression or classification or what have you, uh, as a black box, right? Uh, we look for people who tend to try to understand why these things work, how they work, right? what assumptions do they make. So, uh, so that's one side, and the other side is uh, software engineering, right? We... Um, uh, my group is structured is, is, is somewhat uh, differently than many data science groups uh, elsewhere, right? So we uh, deliver products to clients, right? So we do everything. So the usual project which is posed in my group is basically to be taken from a blank sheet of paper to deliver it to clients. So which pr involves production. Production. Yeah. At a big scale. Give it Bloomberg's yes. footprint, right? So quite different. So by by the way, uh, I, I guess I've extended this episode. But uh, are you paying attention to the data? There's so many data science programs in universities. Yes. Uh, are you paying attention to? Uh, have you guys recruited that out of any of those programs yet? Uh, so yes, obviously we are uh, very closely involved in the Columbia oh, yeah. uh, University Data Science Program. 
Uh, I am going to be giving a talk, I think, to the data science program at NYU uh, sometime in May. Uh, and we do recruit from pretty much all of them. But um, so I think we I think uh, we may even be on the board of curriculum development on at I think R Rutgers or RPI for that program, something like that. Uh, you know, actually, I'm actually excited about, I'm, uh, I'm an advisor to a program, the ASI, that CEO in London, and what they do is they take PhDs in the hard sciences like uh, math, physics, you know, and, and engineering as well, uh, and then they put them through a, an eight to ten week finishing school. So these are people mm -hmm. are already with advanced degrees, and they just uh, uh, put them through a finishing school with a... Uh, partner company and they work on actual data projects and at the end most of them get hired by the companies yes yeah. so um, I'm familiar with several such programs um, they are clearly useful uh, so I don't know if that's the most efficient way of going about acquiring this skill set yeah. or it is anyway <laughs> going to school for five years and then uh, doing something else Interesting. All right. So thank you again, Gary. And uh, uh, we look forward to hearing more about uh, what you guys are doing at Bloomberg in the area of machine learning. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through TuneIn.com or SoundCloud or iTunes and never miss an episode.